nothing. And when he describes to us what love is, the patience and kindness that is not jealous and it's not arrogant and doesn't seek its own. When he describes love in ways that is not humanly possible because of sin, he then goes on to describe this love in one particular way, that the fact that it will never fail. The love that Paul is speaking about is not the love that this world is defining today. Love is not the feelings you have for someone of the same sex or of the opposite sex in that sense. Because often love today is lust. It is lusting after something that is forbidden. Because in our world, men and women are sleeping together before marriage. They're saying, oh, I'm in love. No, you're in lust. The, the feelings that you have for one another are leading you to live in sin. And our world portrays it on TV, in Super Bowl ads, in every aspect of our life. We see definitions of love that have no biblical basis. So Paul had the same problem in Corinth. This, this idea that love has always been well defined is ridiculous because it's a problem that has faced the world from the beginning of time. Ever since sin came into the world, love has been distorted. Because before the fall, just think about this. Adam and Eve knew what pure love was like. It was unselfish love. Right? Just like what Paul describes here. It was a love that loved each other deeply. But the moment that they chose the lie of Satan over the promise and love of God... Love began to be distorted. And so Paul is addressing this issue because the reason there is a problem in Corinth is they have forgotten to love. They've forgotten to love. And so when Paul begins verse 14 and says, pursue love, you want a, a literal translation of this? You pursue love. He's directly talking to them. You all, all of you. Pursue love. This is a command. This is an imperative. If you don't know what an imperative is, it's another word for a command. Something you must do. So we could say, you must pursue love, Corinth. You must pursue love, Shelbyville Christian Assembly. You must pursue love, brother or sister in Christ. But he doesn't leave it there. He uses a very similar phrase as to what we found there at the end of chapter 12. He says, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts. Or this word yet can also be translated and. And I think that's a better 
translation here. Pursue love. You must pursue love. And you must desire earnestly spiritual gifts. This is not optional in the Christian life. Because when Paul says desire earnestly, this is imperative as well. So we can put these two imperatives together and make our first point. Love and spiritual gifts are mutually imperative. They are mutually imperative. They are both necessary in our Christian walk. We can't separate the two. Most people want to put but in between here. And they, tr- they use the word but as a means of separating the two as though Paul is warring them against one another. But if you read on, you see that when a life is lived in love to God, a life that is pursuing love, you know why it's a pursuit? Because it's not easy. Because this word for love, for pursue is the idea of running after. It is striving. It's seeking after. It is not easy. How many of you have been married and loving your spouse has always been easy? What? Always? It hasn't always been easy? No, it's, it's difficult at times. There are times when it's easy to love. I mean, when they get, bring you breakfast in bed on Mother's Day, I mean, it's pretty easy to love them, right? Okay, I didn't get to do that this morning. But uh, apparently rolls were more important than breakfast in bed, so the rolls went out. But um, there are times when love is easy. Why? Because the love that you're receiving makes it easy to reciprocate it. But there are times in our life when that is not easy. And so we must pursue this love because it is a love that is not seeking its own. I think this is a, a, a very important characteristic because when sin came into the world, we saw the beginning of love that became self-centered. All about me. I'll love you as long as you love me. Isn't that how our world looks at marriage today? As long as it benefits me, this love is good. But we saw a fissure in a marriage that lasted 27 years just last week. One of the most famous couples in the world. The most wealthy couples in the world with Bill and Melinda Gates are getting a divorce. I read a quote from her. She said her marriage was irretrievably broken. Because for them, pursuing love is not the life. Because love should just come easy. Right? We talk about love as though it's something we fall into, and if we can fall into it, we can fall right out. All it takes is a change of circumstances. 
But the love that God describes in His Word is a commitment. It is a covenant that we make. God covenanted with us through Jesus, His Son, to love Him. So when we pursue love, it will be hard. It will be difficult. But when we do it, we will stay strong. We will remain Because when we pursue that love, when we are seeking, Oh Lord, I want to love in patience. I want to love in kindness. I don't want to be jealous. I don't want to run around bragging about my own abilities. I don't want to be arrogant. I don't want to be unbecoming. I, I want to seek the best of others. I don't want to be easily provoked. I don't want to hold bitterness and at all the suffering that I have felt at others. I want to love like Jesus. When we make that commitment to pursue love, then we will desire earnestly the spiritual gifts in the end. It will require both. Because why? Why are the spiritual gifts so important? Remember what Paul says there at the beginning of chapter 12? But to each one is given, it's verse 7, but each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The gifts are not given to elevate a certain individual in the church to a place of hero worship, for a lack of better description. The purpose is so that the church may grow and that the church will experience the common good, that each person will be working for the good of all the others. So when we are moving in love, we're pursuing love, then we will want one another's common good. And, and what does Paul say? That the spiritual gifts are a means of that. They're given for the common good. So we begin to earnestly desire because we love one another. We want God to flow because we want one another to grow and to be built up. But then Paul throws a little wrench in it. Right? Because then he says, but, uh, what? Paul, couldn't you just keep going on this? You know, let's just, let's just talk about all the gifts alone and, and not worry. Nope. Paul is going to begin now to really address a problem in Corinth. And a problem, honestly, that many in the church deal with. He says, but especially that you may prophesy. Or we could even say, even more so that you could prophesy, that you may. So don't just pursue love, and don't just desire earnestly the spiritual gifts, but especially, or more so, desire that you may prophesy. Now, 
I don't know if you got to the ver- if you've read this verse before and you thought, Paul, why is it so important that we prophesy more than the other gifts? Like, what's the big deal, Paul? Why why do we need to deal with that? Well, Paul gives us a good answer, in, starting in verse two. Actually, from verse two to verse five are a explanation of why Paul believes we should pursue and ask God and desire more so to prophesy. So in verse 2 he says, For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Big deal. Does it really matter? Maybe you didn't ask that question. So, Paul is giving us a couple things here. He's, he's showing us two things here. We're seeing that speaking in tongues is speaking to God and not to man. So, is this a heavenly language? I don't know. There's so much argument about what exactly tongues is, whether it's a known human language or an angelic tongue or whatever, but the consensus is, even among people who would not consider themselves charismatic, is that it is a language. Now, there are some who are cessationists, and they would just throw this completely out. But um, the majority who are seeking to be faithful to the text, even those who would not themselves be considered charismatic, would argue, well, this is at least a language. It may not be a known human language. It could be. We know of instances like that, like at Pentecost. That was definitely known human language that they understood. But not only is, do we see this, that it's a language to God, it is not a language to men. So why is this a big deal to Paul, that it's a language to God and not to men. Why? Because for no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mystery. So, again, we see in verse four, verse 2, he starts with the word for. When you see for in the New Testament especially, it is an argument that Paul is making. He is grounding what he just said. He is building a foundation for why prophecy should be especially sought after. And then, you're thinking, okay, Paul, why, why do we, why does it make a difference if it's speaking to God and not to men? For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. So Paul is continuing to show, he's saying, the problem is that it's not understood by men. It's unintelligible by itself. As Paul will clarify himself near the end of this passage. It speaks mysteries. Remember, we see this word mysteries. It's actually the root of the English word. This is we actually get it from Greek, this word mysteries. Because if you took the Greek letters and transliterated them, it would pretty much spell this. So we, we don't need to dig into meaning, but the idea is that we are seeing a mystery. 
And so when we speak in tongues, it's a mystery because we can't understand it. We don't know what it means. So first we see here in verse 2, we're seeing what tongues, how tongues are described. Now, the question is, why is Paul speaking about this issue specifically? Why, why not another spiritual gift? Because right, he's, he's making prophecy something more desirable to seek after. Why, why is he picking tongues? And this is why I believe, and most commentators that I have read, some have differing views, but all would say there is an issue with how tongues is dealt with in the church at Corinth. And the reason we see that in verse 2 is because Paul is bringing up their pet spiritual gift and he's going to come in behind it with prophecy and explain why prophecy is more important in one specific purpose, in the gathered assembly of the church. But he's going to give an exception. So hold on. I know if you were planning on leaving early to go say hello to your mother, um, you want to hold on. Don't, don't run out the door. So in verse 3, Paul now, he's, he's pitting them against one another in a way. He's, he's not saying one is less valuable, and we'll see that. But he says, but one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. So what is the main difference here? What is, what is it that prophecy is for? It is God's word spoken through a man to men. Right? So tongues is a language spoken to God, according to Paul here. But prophecy is spoken to men. In what way is it spoken, may I ask? Is it spoken in gibberish? Is it unintelligible? No, it's spoken in human language. It is spoken in words that we can understand. And how do we know that? Because it edifies. Do you see that word edification there? It exhorts and consoles. Have you ever been edified by words you did not understand? No. But, in some ways, I have experienced it, but not from other people. How many times have you prayed in tongues and been encouraged? I have. It's like there's a, there's a situation you're dealing with and you can't figure out there's this, you've, you've tried on all, all your levels to figure out how to fix it, and God's just waiting for us to come to Him. And then we begin to pray, and a peace washes over us. We can't explain it. We can't explain why we're, we went from depression to joy. 
and peace. But for some reason, it happens. But that, but if you went to someone else and said, okay, let me pray in the Spirit for you, do you think they would feel the same encouragement that you felt over your situation? No, because that's not the purpose of that. Because what Paul says in verse 4, he says, one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. We've all experienced that. But here, prophecy is different because it edifies all who hear, not just the speaker. Because it's spoken in language that we can understand. And it edifies. This word edify is actually, in the Greek, it's, have you ever had oikos, uh, Greek yogurt? Well, apparently... They thought it would be nice to name their yogurt house. So this word is actually oikos plus the idea of building. So it's like a builder. It's, a, it's the idea of building. So when we speak prophecy, we build people up like a house is built up. But that's not it. So we're making someone stronger. We're building them up into the Lord. And more specifically, what is Paul talking about here? The gathered assembly, the body of Christ. We're building up the church of God. Not a building, but people who are knit together Not only does it do that, it exhorts, or we might say encourages. Press in. Keep going. Don't quit. That's what the idea is. Encourages us to do what God has already told us to do. Have you ever had that happen? Honestly, I haven't in in a prophetic sense. I've had people encourage me with words, but... I mean, we should begin to see this. This should be the result of prophecy. And thirdly, prophecy speaks to men for the purpose of consolation or consoling or comforting. To bring comfort to us. I'm with you. Don't give up. It kind of melds in there with exhortation and encouragement, right? But all these words are about building one another up, not tearing one another down. Paul goes on in verse 4. And really I think he's, he's trying to give us a thought. What, what about speaking to men makes prophecy more important than the gift like speaking in tongues? Well, we see that here in verse 4. I've already read the first half, but one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. Okay? So keep that himself there. And you might just say only edifies himself. 
But one who prophesies edifies, and I'm going to add a word, the entire church. Entire is not in the original, but I think if we see these things, so of the two, which one can be described as more loving? Remember Paul's description? What was one of his descriptions? It does not seek its own. That doesn't mean we shouldn't on our own pray in tongues. And even together as a body praying for one another. But when we're speaking in the church, it should be in prophecy, not in tongues. Except... I'm not there yet. Just keep holding on. Holding on to your seat because it's coming. But Paul is giving us, we're seeing here what a pursuit of love looks like while desiring earnestly spiritual gifts and especially prophecy. Why? Because it is the greater gift. It is one of the greater gifts. Greater in what way? I believe Paul used verse 13, chapter 13 to define what greater is. Those gifts that are better for the good of the church as a whole. So when we see Paul say edifies himself or edifies the church, which one is more loving? When we edify the church, we're all growing together. It is a selfless move of God because we love one another. We would desire those things that will build up the whole church because the problem in Corinth, I believe, is they had elevated speaking in tongues without interpretation to such a level that, oh, you're a super spiritual. And then pride, that's, that's selfish. Oh, I'm, I can do that, so I'm good. I'm something big and I'm such a great Christian now. That doesn't build up the church. That builds up that individual. And that's what Paul is getting at. Because Paul is not trying to say speaking in tongues is useless. How do I know that? Verse 5. I mean, this is a quick sermon for you guys. This morning. I guess we all want to eat for Mother's Day, but... Maybe I'm feeling like I need to make up for a couple weeks ago or something. I don't know. But um, we're flying through what I have prepared. But that's fine. But in verse 5, it says, Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues. Can I give you a literal translation? He says, I want you all to speak in tongues. Kind of similar. I actually like that better because it shows that Paul wants them to speak in tongues. Does that mean, as some have decided, that they some of them didn't? I don't think 
you can draw that necessarily from this text. It's possible. Maybe that's what he meant, but I don't think that's what he meant. What he's saying is, I don't want you to go from one guardrail to the other. I don't want you to get to the point where you say, well, tongues is useless, so let's not do that. Let's just prophesy in our church. Let's not have prophecy. And how do I know that? Because when he says unless at the end of verse 5, he says unless he interprets. Unless he interprets these tongues. So Paul is creating this this difference between prophecy and speaking in tongues. And then right here in the middle he says, So I wish that you all, or I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. This phrase, but even more, does that remind you of somewhere else? Yeah, actually, verse 1 at the end. But especially that you may prophesy. It's the exact same Greek letter words. Identical. They just translated them different for a little bit of variety. It's the same, exact same. So Paul's whole point in this entire paragraph is that we would desire and would want to prophesy. And then he says, and greater is the one who prophesies. Greater. This word greater is the exact same word that he uses in verse 31. I don't think it's a coincidence of chapter 12. I don't think it's a a coincidence. I believe that Paul is now showing us that when we are determining what is the greater gift... It is those that edify the church. You say, well, how in the world do you get that? Well, we're almost there. Almost. He says, greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues. Unless. We've arrived. Aren't you glad this sermon didn't last for an hour? And we didn't arrive here for an hour and you were on the edge of your seat wondering... Paul, are we done with tongues? Are we going to throw it out the door? No, he says, unless he interprets. Now, why would that be so so important to Paul? Because if it is interpreted, that means it can be understood. Interestingly, when he says, no one understands... In verse 2, remember he says, He does not speak to man but to God, for no one understands. That word understand is actually the word for hear. But it has this idea of hearing with the ability to understand. So when it is when tongues are interpreted in the church, and we're talking about the gift of tongues with interpretation, these two are interlinked, they cannot be separated. They should not. And that is the problem that is going on in Corinth. They're speaking in tongues, but no one is interpreting. And we see, you'll find that out later on in this passage. I mean, just think about this. 
In verse 23, he says, Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues, and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that they are that you are mad? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all, he is a called to account by all. So we see this example that Paul gives in verse 23 of someone coming into the assembly. And they're all speaking in tongues, but no one understands what they're saying. Right? Because what's the problem? No one is interpreting. And so Paul is saying, if you want to see the gifts flow in the right way, you want gifts to be greater, they need to be those that are for the church. How do we know that? Well, He ends this paragraph that way. He says, so that. When you see so that in the New Testament, it is always a purpose clause. I don't know if you know, remember your your English grammar, but this is the purpose of prophecy and speaking in tongues with interpretation. The purpose is so that the church may receive edifying. The church is a passive recipient of these gifts. There are individuals who are working, but who is who is the actor? Who is the one doing the work? Is it the person? No, it is God. God is the one working through one of the members of the church so that the church may receive from him through a brother or sister edifying. This is the principle that should govern all spiritual gifts in the church. If we are seeking the spiritual gifts so that we can be something, so that we can build ourselves a mansion on a hill, or so that we can have our name on billboards, coming to town soon, evangelist so-and-so, or healer so-and-so, or so that we'll get interviewed by CNN and MSNBC and NBC and CBS, Or that will be the trending topic on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. If that is our purpose, then we have totally missed it. Because when we earnestly desire the greater gifts, the greater gifts are those that are meant to build up the church. All the gifts are given for the common good, not so that one member may exalt themselves among the, the group. At the foot of the cross, we are equal. You want reconciliation? Go to the cross. Don't go to these other groups that are saying they want reconciliation, but when you start to read what they say, they actually want vengeance. They don't want to reconcile people. They want to cause the divide to be greater. 
I was thinking about this so that the church may receive edifying. And it made me question not just the spiritual gifts in our body, but are there things that we do when gathered together or even in fellowship at someone's house or whatever that could be tearing one another down or causing the church to not be edified? And we need to think about that. When we are addressing or determining whether we should do something at church or not, will this edify my brother or sister? Will this edify the whole? Not just when we're talking about spiritual gifts. Or is this about getting me noticed? Is this about me becoming more spiritual? Why do you think God hates gossip so much? Because it is doing the exact opposite of what God has called us to do in love for one another. Gossip seeks to tear down. It is the total opposite. You could just take oikos and put destruction beside it and put it all together in one word and it would be tearing down. Have you ever experienced that where someone has sought to tear you down? I think we all have. They didn't know what was going on in your life. And instead of coming alongside you, being discerning of what the Spirit was saying, they decided they knew what was wrong and they needed to tear you down behind your back or however it may be. They weren't seeking to edify. I mean, our words have power. We can build up or we can tear down. And it's easy to think, well, I always seek what's the good of others. I know I don't. And I, I admit that because it's so easy for me to slip into, oh, I, I just don't want to do that because it's too much work. Well, love is work. I just I started this sermon today with that. When we pursue love, we have to do it with all our hearts. I don't know too many people that actually like to run. They're, they're weird. Um, I only like to trick myself into running. And by that I mean play sports that cause me to run, but in reality I'm not focusing on the fact that I can't breathe. But I know if I want to be good at a sport, I, I need to persevere. I need to keep pressing in. I need to pursue what I'm doing. Running is not easy. But the more you do it, the easier it gets. When we begin to walk in love and we begin to live in love, it's not as hard to think about what others Need. And we begin to discern the Spirit's move. And we stop thinking about, oh, how will the people perceive me? I don't care. Well, I do. And I have to deal with that. I care what people think, but I need to begin to get to the place where I say, you know what? 
I believe God is leading me to love in this way. It's not easy. People are going to make fun of me. But I want the Spirit to move because I want my brother or sister or so-and-so. I want the church to grow. And so I'll prophesy because God is leading me to do that. Or I will speak in tongues and have interpretation. I will begin to flow in the gifts because I want what is best for SEA, the gathered body of Christ. So I'll leave you with three questions. Are you pursuing love? I don't just mean like some people pursue a girl or a guy. Passively hoping they'll notice you. I've had, I was that person. (laughs) Till somebody told me one day, they said, you like this girl so much, yet you are afraid to tell them What if you spent the rest of your life just liking this person and not saying it? (laughs) I was like, what? And I thought about it. I was like, huh. Yeah, I could just waste the rest of my life thinking that this person might like me back. But I need to actually pursue that or else it wasn't Megan at the time. I didn't even know Megan. But like when that happened, God opened my eyes to, oh, this is not a mutual thing. I can move on. But I had to pursue. I couldn't just be a passive lover, if that makes sense. I had to show that I loved. So are you pursuing love in this church? Most specifically. I'm not saying that it shouldn't extend to other believers or the world that is lost. But primarily, I believe that one thing that we as a church need to do is to pursue love. So are you doing that? Secondly, are you earnestly desiring the greater gifts? Those that edify the church? Those gifts that may receive more Friction from others may make people think less highly of you, but are necessary for the church to grow, like prophecy. We're so skeptical of people who prophesy, right? I don't know about you, but anytime I've been at a a conference or a gathering of people and somebody goes up to the mic to prophesy, you're like, like, I'm not sure I want to hang around them later. Even if they say something good, maybe that's just me. Because we're like, that might rub off on me. And then I'll start prophesying stuff that I'm not sure about. It's not easy to be in, to be led by the Spirit and to begin to move in the Spirit. Because we are letting God do what He wants. And it may not be something we like. 
may not be something that we particularly desire to be tagged as. It wouldn't be a problem if you got tagged as the healer of the church. You know, you have this the gift of healing. But as a prophet, ugh, there's a stigma that goes with that. Or preacher. I know what it feels like, even though I'm not technically the pastor. And lastly, if we're pursuing love, if we're earnestly seeking the greater gifts, desiring those, are we seeking to be used for the edification of our church? Do we seek to love so that the church will be built up? Or have we distorted love to build us up? And to just think about when you come together, whether it's prayer meeting or whatever, are we seeking to build one another up in those moments? Or are we tearing one another down? What are, what are our words proclaiming? Edification? Or are we actually poisoning in our words? What about when we're apart from one another? This is all under that, that question. But we're with one member of the church. How do we talk about others in the church? Are we talking about them in ways that they would be feel like you're building them up? Or would you be ashamed if there was a secret recording of what you said about them? I know this isn't the point of Paul here, but I think it's something we should consider. Because... The church is meant to be building one another up, not speaking in a way to tear one another down. I'm not going to say we don't have our problems. But when we have problems and God puts it on our heart, we need to discern, okay, Lord, how can I minister to their need? I see their weakness, but I'm sure they see mine. We don't ignore one another's weaknesses. We, we begin to pray and ask God to show us, how can I build this person up? They struggle with their ability to trust. They struggle with their ability to be identified in the church. They're struggling in this way or that. How do I build them up? You might be shocked to, to find out that God would begin to show you those things so that the Spirit can begin to flow through you and that you would be able to minister in a gift to that person. Because you're no longer seeking gifts for 
selfless purposes. You're seeking to edify the church, and in doing so, you're pursuing love, and you're earnestly desiring the greater gifts. And suddenly, you begin to realize that God is opening your eyes to issues, and then He is leading you to speak in prophecy, speak in tongues with interpretation, words of knowledge, words of wisdom. All these gifts that we've been speaking about in chapter 12 can begin to flow here because we're not about making one person greater than another. We're here to put ourselves under the lordship of Jesus Christ and to each be the member that God has called us to be. Yeah, some of us might be a pinky toe, thinking we're nothing, we're useless. And some of us might think we're the mouth or the nose or something important. But we need one another. We need hands, we need feet, we need fingers, we need arms and legs and torsos and shoulders. May not be the one that gets all the the glory, but guess what? Shoulders don't get caught off on a table saw. At least ever ever I've heard about it. (laughs) Fingers get to do a lot of work, but they also are the ones that, if you looked at my hands, I've got cuts and scrapes and lots of uh, injuries from work. My shoulders don't get that so much. Occasionally they'll get sore or get a cramped nerve or something, but... Really, my shoulders don't get, get that much hurt, but they carry a big load. So each part of our body has a, a purpose, and we're built, we're being built together, being built up. And I believe that Paul is seeking prophecy because it will build up the church the most. So, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you don't leave us without your presence, that you don't leave us without your witness, that you've given us your word so that we can know you deeply, not, not just on a surface level, but with an intimacy, Lord, that no other religion offers. For God, you are the true God. You came down to earth and died for us. Lord, I pray that we would not leave this morning thinking that we're something because of some gift that you've given. But Lord, that we would seek to build up one another because we desire and we are pursuing with passion a love that comes from above. That we are desiring those gifts that would be greatest in the church. Lord, guide us, give us discernment, and fill us afresh with your Spirit, I pray.